Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. If you're just joining us, we're discussing the, the big idea that authentic spiritual faith, at its core, is not what many people have portrayed it to be. Uh, if you turned on the television this morning, you'd see different uh, you know, preachers talking about seven steps to success or how to be happy, healthy, and wealthy for life. And that is while a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the way to salvation, it is the on-ramp to a relationship with God, we're given that relationship with God for the benefit of other people. Our faith is not just our own. I'll repeat that. We're blessed with a saving relationship with God for the benefit of others. We're blessed to be a blessing. We are saved to serve. And if you can wrap your mind around that counterintuitive truth, then you can actually dive into the reality that Jesus alluded to in Matthew 16.25, when he suggested that true life can only be found when we're willing to give ours away. Uh, the message paraphrase renders it, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, said Jesus, to finding yourself, your true self. So as we give ourselves away and invite God to pour his love and kindness out through us, we notice two things occur. We change for the better. We become more like Jesus Christ every time we serve because he came as a servant, not to be served. But also the world changes. Those we come in contact with begin to experience the loving kindness of God through us. And little things done with great love make a huge difference. Um, just ask one of my sisters here in the Liquid Congregation who took a risk this week and invited God to work through her. Uh, here's what she wrote. She said, hey, Pastor Tim. I want to share something with you, an experience I had with the Because God Loves You balloon outreach that we were all challenged with last week. I wanted to share with you that I actually had a hard time with it. That blue balloon tormented me for days. <laughs> Though I'd share my story with you. Um, basically, we gave out these balloons that uh, had the word outflow on it, and it said, uh, Because God Loves You. And the challenge was to each one of us to give that balloon away to a stranger attached, though, to an act of sacrificial kindness that showed God's love to a stranger. And she wrote, the moment you spoke about the balloon, I thought of a woman I see in town. I'd been seeing her more and more, it seems, lately. She walks around town a lot, wearing clothes too warm for the weather. She seems very sad and tired and hungry. I think she may be homeless. Well, I thought of this woman immediately when I took a balloon last week, but I wasn't sure what I would do or how I'd express to her exactly what I wanted to say. I had so many questions. What will I say to her? What, what will I give her? What if she doesn't believe in God? What, what if she's crazy? Uh, what if I upset her? What if she thinks there are strings attached? What if I want to help her for the wrong reasons? That's a big worry for me. My mind was obviously on overdrive. So as I left church that night and walked home in the rain, I was walking across the town green and almost completely walked right into her. I couldn't believe it, but I kept on walking. I walked right by her in the rain. Once I got home, I tied that balloon to my refrigerator and proceeded to torture myself with it for a few days afterwards as it got smaller and smaller and smaller and more and more withered until Friday, finally on Friday morning, I had to throw it away. It was time for the balloon to die. I'm grateful, though, for that blue withering balloon because it had me thinking of this woman whom I don't know, but whom I'm pretty sure struggles every day, struggles in ways I can't imagine. When I've seen her in town, I can't help thinking, what's the difference between her and me? Why am I here and she there? But then sometimes we get second chances. I like that about life. This past Friday, when I was driving home from work and was going around the town green, I saw her sitting on a bench. So I rushed home, parked, and with my heart pumping and my ears, ran over to the local car and started search for the perfect card. I ended up finding one that had a heart shape in the middle of a body of water. It was blank inside, so I could tell her exactly what I wanted to say, which was this. Dear friend, I wrote, 
I hope you don't think this card is weird, but it's just that I see you in town a lot, and sometimes I think you seem sad. I just want you to know that there are people here in town who care about you and how you're doing. I don't know if you believe in God, but I do. And I wanted you to know that I believe he's watching over you and that he loves you. And with the card, I enclosed some money. Well, I quickly walked over to the green, hoping she was there and and actually that she was gone all at the same time. (laughs) When I rounded the corner and saw her still sitting there, I was really nervous. I hadn't worked out what I wanted to say, but the moment just kind of came and it flowed. And I handed her the card. I said, "This, this is for you. And she looked me in the eye and she said, thank you. Now, now you leave and have a good day. And that was that. I left and started walking home. And then I stopped to get a pedicure. And, <laughs> and spent more money on the pedicure than I gave her on the card. Ah, <laughs> this will be the struggle for me. <laughs> what to say, how to say it, what to give, how to give, why to give, who to give. I'm up for the struggle though. Thanks again for the sermon. Looking forward to this summer at Liquid. And you know what I love about her experience? It's so real life. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. This captures all the ambivalence and the struggle really involved. If you want to live a life that outflows God's love to other people, the guilt that first comes like, oh, I know I should be doing more to serve others. Maybe you felt that way seeing all these people like, Asha, missed opportunities, the fear that sometimes paralyzes us, right? We've, maybe we should say something or do something or, but I'll just keep walking. And the mixed motives we all have. Why am I doing this? Is it for the wrong reasons? I like nice looking toes. Am I a bad person? (laughs) Right? And then in spite of it all, God gives us a second chance. Even when we're paralyzed or on the verge of giving up, God doesn't give up on us. You know, it's real life. It's the progress actually of a disciple. That's what Christianity actually lived out looks like. Someone who's following Jesus and fits and starts not perfectly, but steadily making progress and saying, Lord, I need more of your spirit if I'm going to live this thing out. Uh, You know, when I was corresponding with her, I said, you know, you really captured something. A a blue withered balloon is a fitting metaphor for the Christian life, right? At times filled and like floating and other times just kind of fading and deflated. And the redemptive part is that she discovered God gives these second chances, a new day to be used. And and I'm like, I was so glad she's up for the struggle. And I know exactly what she means when she struggles with like the whys of giving and serving. In fact, that interior, like, why am I doing this question? That used to haunt me at times so much so that I was frequently paralyzed and ended up doing nothing in my life. This kept up in my 20s until I finally got permission from God to be honest and acknowledge that, you know what? I'm a jumble of mixed motives. (laughs) Just about every moment of every day and that God loves me anyway and wants to use me mixed motives and all. And that set me free to do a lot of things. I think if I continued waiting for that moment of like absolute 100% crystalline heart purity, I'd be doing just that, still waiting. So I wrote her, you know, so off we go. Crack pots, all of us, leaking God's love through the city streets. <laughs> That's what outflow is all about. And remember, folks, and probably this is how Jesus said his kingdom would spread throughout the world, through everyone in this room. We've been using this four-tier fountain as a metaphor for the teaching of Jesus in Acts 1.8. These are the last words of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. The last words he ever spoke and were recorded into scripture. So having died for the sins of mankind, been raised from the dead by the power of God, here's what he told his followers before he left. He said, now you guys will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, start locally. Throughout Judea, it's going to spread to the region. And then in Samaria, people aren't even like you, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 literally describes a pattern that God has to flow into us and then out of us and into the world. And and if you think of your life as a fountain, which is how Jesus invites us to to imagine it, 
The idea is that you're being constantly filled up with God's spirit and then it overflows to their family and friends who are around you and over the sides into the surrounding area, people who may not even know. And literally, every bowl represents an ever-widening circle of filling. God's spirit in you, that's what we worked on last week. And then realizing that the only way that people or family and friends are going to be impacted is if you're actually living out of God's power and not your own. So again, we realize what Jesus' point is. See the fountain? It's not about you, but it starts with you. You got to be freshly filled up with God's spirit first, but it never ends with you. Your life is meant to literally collide and impact with the lives of others, our city and our world. And that's why you got special instructions last week to spend an hour with your heavenly father because you have to be filled up first according to Jesus. Show of hands. How many of you accepted that invitation? You spent one hour last week with just connecting deeply with God. How many of you actually got a chance to get away and, and, and do that? Okay, a few hands. All right, a few people. Good. Okay, thank you. A few more. Good. I hope that was helpful to you. It was kind of fun. Someone at the earlier service, Jody, she, uh, she sent me a picture like, or email like took a long time coming through and it was a picture of her covered in mud with her dog looking like all startled and she was like it was awesome tim she said i I haven't been silent before god for a long long time she goes but i went out to the woods with my dog i took my bible with me and we went through these woods where i remember really deeply connecting with god and i spent just a half hour being quiet and it was like i've been quiet for a half hour in like months and then I took out the Bible and started reading it, and I felt, you know, as God was just opening up my heart. She goes, and as, I, as I'm walking back with my dog, as German Shepherd, he tackled me from behind. <laughs> and we fell literally halfway kind of into a swamp and mud puddle in a marshy area. She goes, so I got in my car, she goes, and I'm literally sopping wet. My, my Bible's like all muddy, and my dog is like wet dog. You know what it smells like? She goes, and it was the best afternoon in months I ever had because I was connected deeply to God, and he filled me up. But that, and that's great, but, you, but you'll notice on what's next on the four-level tier, according to Jesus, once you are filled and connected to God, family and friends. And I want you to think a little bit about your family and friends because this is where it starts to get challenging. Uh, for a lot of people in this room, maybe listening online, the very thought of talking about God with our family and friends is loaded with conflicted emotions. Um, maybe you, you've, you've spent some time today with some of your family for Father's Day and you were happy to get away. <laughs> Or, or maybe it was great, but, but for some of us, it actually could be stressful. Most of us know our family and close friends well enough to recognize, you know what, they're all at different places, spiritually speaking. Some of them are very receptive to the message of Christ, but others, eh, not so much. Question, show of hands, how many of you have a family member who you've been hoping or praying for a long time would just open up, actually, to, to God's love? Okay, yeah, a few, a few people. And how many of you say, you know what, you know what, I, they will, unless a miracle happens, I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> Maybe they had a bad church experience or they're antagonistic towards, towards organized religion. It's like, it'll be a miracle if they come to Christ. Well, here's the deal. I believe Jesus had your situation in mind as he spoke to a group of his followers along the shore of a lake. I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we printed it in your bulletin and you can follow along there. But I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And it says, Jesus told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, he said, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much 
as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. On your way in this afternoon, each of you were hopefully handed one of these. Do you still have it with you or did you eat it? Hold it up if you got it. Between your thumb and your forefinger right there. You got a seed on the way in. Let's see. Anyone here actually know what kind of seed this is? Yell it out. You know what it is? Okay. Yeah, I kind of... Okay, pumpkin melon. Uh, I don't you know. Uh, yeah, pumpkin, actually. Good, good job. Now, it goes almost without saying that when Jesus told this parable, he was talking to people actually who have no problem identifying because they were acquainted with seeds. Not everyone was a farmer in first century Judea. Most depended, though, on what was growing in their gardens as vital sustenance. This was an agrarian culture. And that's a stretch for most of us, like in suburban New Jersey. Okay, honest admission, how many of you have never planted or watered anything other than your front lawn? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a stretch for us to think like first century Hebrew gardeners. For instance, we kind of spit out the seeds of like oranges or watermelons or throw them in the trash without second thought. But Hebrew gardeners, they saved every one of their seeds so they could sow it back into the soil. Because they knew that this, this little seed today represented next year's crop. Now, as Jesus later explained in Luke 8, he said, the seed in this story I just told is the word of God. He literally explained this in, in, Luke, uh, in, in Luke 8. Now, the Greek word translated as word here. So he's saying, I'm telling a story about a seed, but the seed really is the word of God. And the Greek word for, for uh, word is logos. Let's say it together. Ready? Logos. Look at you. You know Greek. And the etymology of the word logos is fascinating because logos means far more than a collection of characters written on a page. It's not like just a, a word written on a page. It, those things can get garbled in translation. Logos literally means the true essence, the core of what God is actually communicating. The, the essential core or exact representation of the truth. It's, and it's where we get our modern word, anyone know? Logo from. What's a logo? You know what a logo is, right? It's a symbol or an icon that comes to represent perfectly or reflect the larger entity. Here in America, we're all familiar with logos. goes without saying, right? What's this one? Nike, right? The swoosh, right? It's amazing. But have you noticed that Nike has dropped their actual name from all of their apparel and they haven't lost one ounce of brand equity? Why? Because their logo is so powerful. It communicates speed and athleticism. It's instantly recognizable. It's the, the, the true essence of Nike. I think it's like the, the Greek god of victory or something like that. Number two, how about this one? How about this logo? Yeah, Apple computers, right? The little iconic Macintosh with the bite taken out of it, little leaf sticking out on top. They got this from, from the legend that says that Isaac Newton, when he was sitting under an apple tree, apple fell on his head and he instantly thought up the, 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 you know, the law of gravity, right? <laughs> Now, whether that legend is true or not, you can understand what the Apple logo connotes. It's like innovation, creativity, discovery. One of Apple's early taglines was think different. So the Apple with a bite taken out, a great logo depicting the essence of Apple's innovative spirit. One more. Everyone know what this means? Yeah, cheap clothes. Target, or as we like to say in Jersey French, Target, right? You get the idea. Logos are an extension of the Greek word logos, which means the essential essence. So when Jesus says the seed is the word or logos of God, he's saying the seed in my story is the true essence of God. And this word is so significant that the apostle John begins the fourth gospel using the word three times in a row. He says, in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. In other words, God wasn't 
content to simply dictate a bunch of written words to his prophets or scribble his laws on stone. In order to be absolutely perfectly clear in transmitting what his intentions towards you and the whole human race were like, he came in person, in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ. Why? To live a life of perfect love and sacrifice that illustrated exactly what God was like, his essence. John 1.14 tells us, and the word, the Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and the word became flesh. Okay? Now, back to our seed-sowing parable. Track with me. The big idea, why we're dissecting the history of this word, is that the seed that you and I sow into the lives of others is not a tract, is not a Bible verse, is not biblical knowledge about Jesus. It is the essence of Jesus. And Jesus' whole life was about one single thing, sacrificial love. Not a human kind of love. I'm not talking like, you know, mere sentiment or like, oh, Jesus, warm fuzzies. Not that. The essence of love, where you would lay down your life for the object of your passion. There is a logo associated with the logos you may be familiar with. It looks like this. This is, this is literally the Christian logo, right? There's a, there's a reason the cross of Jesus Christ is, is, is a central symbol of the Christian faith. Because when Jesus voluntarily allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and say, I'm doing this to die in your place and take on the payment for all of your sins, God said, that, that is the essence of true love. That's the seed of perfect love. It is selfless. It will go to extreme length, even death, to demonstrate the pure kindness and goodness of God's heart. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the essence of the heart of God. And it may be difficult to look at from a human perspective, but Christ's sacrifice of his life on the cross so that you and I could be completely forgiven our sins and have a restored relationship with God. That is the true essence of love, perfect love. Doesn't seek its own, not in it for like what it could get out of it, but unconditional. The sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me. So this is the heart, this is the seed of the Christian faith and also the seed of what it means to follow Christ or be a Christian who actually lives out your faith in the real world. Because interestingly enough, the second half of 1 John reads this. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Notice the word and, that's called like a conjunction. It means this is related to that. <laughs> because Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for people who we are in close familial relationship with. See a connection there? Yeah, there should be an outflow. Because of what Jesus did for you, there should be an outflow in your life to others. Not to pay him back, but that's, what happens when the Spirit of God takes residence in your life? And it makes all the difference. Because if Jesus' love is present in your heart, then actually others are going to be affected. It's not your Bible knowledge or your techniques that make you effective in telling others about Jesus. It's actually living like Jesus, selfless acts. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, Bible knowledge is good and techniques are helpful. But biblically speaking, there's no substitute for this, the Logos. The Apostle Paul says this unequivocally. He says, here's the deal. Um, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, I was an awesome preacher, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. 
If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, let's say I was omniscient, and if I have faith that could, I could actually move mountains, but I didn't love others, I'd, I'm nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, charity, social work, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but you know what? If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Powerful statement about the centrality of the seed or the logos, Jesus. Maybe you and, and many of your family and friends have had a negative experience with religious people um, who spewed you know, verses like there's no tomorrow. But as far as you can tell, and maybe that you're here today checking out Christianity or you came on Father's Day, I don't know what, but you're like, I don't know much of the Bible, but that is true. Because <laughs> I've had people preach at me, but man, where's the love? They lack the logos, the true essence of God's heart for people. See, the secret is in the seed. And seeds contain the selfless love of Christ. And where there's little seed, there's little harvest. So as we share the good news of Jesus' life, if the seed of Christ's love isn't clearly evident in our actions, in what we say and how we say it, then we shouldn't be surprised actually when people are turned off, particularly family and friends. Show you what I'm talking about. I want you to take a look at this documentary footage of a man who thinks he's telling others the good news about Christ, but his approach tells a different story. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. 
Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my Jesus Christ preached the fear of God. The fear of God is all over the New Testament. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away All from these thy things, feet. every violation of God's law, Take are not thy Holy Spirit. God forgive! God forgive! God Restore unto me the joy face of has a salvation and Another pig has another question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say it like it is. Say it like it is. Somebody acts like a pig, it's called pig. Get away from me. It's incredible how many people have experienced a message that was supposed to be about the good news of Jesus as bad news because of misguided messengers. I mean, if you ask the average non-religious person on the street what words they associate with Christians, you'll actually hear words like judgmental. Pushy, rude, uh, sometimes arrogant, sometimes angry, sometimes frightening. <laughs> and it's true, if you talk with folks who encounter street evangelists, like the one in this video, he, he camped out outside of L.A.'s erotica porn convention. What people report hearing about most is God's anger. When Jesus said, I loved, I loved him using scripture, he said, like, um, you know, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Jesus, Jesus is talking about God's care and intimate concern for for people who feel marginalized. And he said, your father loves you. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. And he said, the very hairs on your head are numbered. <laughs> you see that? It's incredible. Well, it's biblical, I guess. A turn or burn. It might have worked for Jonah back in Old Testament days, but preaching God's wrath against sinners in today's world is more likely to get you ignored and dismissed as a kook than to produce sincere repentance. It's funny, but I think one of the most overlooked verses in the entire New Testament is Paul's teaching in Romans 2, 4, um, that many believers show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Kindness matters. In fact, it is the heart of the matter and the true essence of what Jesus calls us to as his followers. And we instinctively know this. Because kindness flows more naturally. And if there's a word, if there's one word on the street about evangelism as it's commonly practiced, it's like, ugh. Because for the most part, we act as if it's like, it's up to us to sell people on Jesus. Jesus is a commodity. Got to use a slick, you know, sales technique. Or, or, you know, browbeat them. You know, yell at them. Or scheming. I'm in New York and this guy hands me a hundred dollar bill on the street. I'm like, oh, great. Hey, thanks. And I open it up. It's a fake tract, right? It's a tract. It's a hundred dollar bill on the outside and it's like, you're not going to have any money in hell if you don't accept Christ. It's like, what? <laughs> Thank you. Now I trust you. So what? <laughs> or sermonizing. I've been guilty of that, right? Just kind of looking and trying to angle ways in with my neighbor to, to, to give them spiritual content, even from questions they're not asking. <laughs> and it's no wonder many of our families and friends are turned off. But here's the deal. Sharing Jesus's love was never about a slick or high pressure technique. It was supposed to be organic. Think seeds. As the hope and love of Christ was planted in the lives of his followers, it naturally... Seeds are small. Even the biggest of them, this, this is one of the bigger seeds, the pumpkin seed. It's relatively tiny, right? And if you think about it, seeds of love are little acts of kindness that we don't think much about at the time, but they can make a big difference when God's power is added to it. Think about it. In fact, let me ask you a question. How evident are the seeds of Christ's love in your life? In other words, how often do your family and friends actually experience Christ's love from you in their lives in tangible ways. Uh, the little adventure of Lou and his son were a great example of this. 
He said, hey, Tim, just a note to share how my 10-year-old son and I reached out with God's love in the balloons. As we exited the parking garage, there was a long line due to some malfunction. The attendance was out of his uh, box, taking everyone's ticket and feeding each one into the reader. My son and I thought he, we should give him a tip in a balloon. I thought he may have had a few already, but I was pleasantly surprised when I could share mine. And so we decided to give him a small cash tip with him. He was very, very grateful. Now, my son brought his balloon into the Morristown Deli, where we went for lunch after church. Our waitress was swamped, and we waited patiently. She was totally frenetic. I just said hi and acknowledged her situation, that it was okay to take her time. She's thanked us profusely for our understanding. So we sat all day, all afternoon, with the balloon at the table. Well, as we left, we attached a 50% tip to the balloon attached to it. I also gave a tip to another server who just helped us with our drinks as well. Why? As the balloon said, because God loves you. This is Lou and his 10-year-old son. Now, here's the deal. Scheme of things, tiny little thing. I mean, come on. Showing patience with a ticket taker or over-tipping a frazzled waitress and saying, just because it's not about your performance, God loves you. But it's a seed, a small little start that you have no idea how God's going to use. I mean, you can't predict fruit without any unexpected message will bear, that God can care enough to help a beleaguered waitress when she's slammed during lunch hour. Who knows? Who knows how that's going to be used? God does. And this is how he wants us to spread his love. God loves planting seeds in you and through you. If you have Jesus in your life, you actually have a huge silo for distribution. And that's how God wants you to spread, actually, indiscriminately throughout your travels as you walk through life. That's when Jesus told this parable, this story, that's what he pictured when he described. He said, the, the farmer, he said, sca- he said, scattered seed along the path here and there. And you started throwing it all over. It said some fell on rock, other on, on thorns and still some among good soil. Now the picture he gives, I know we won't get this, but it's of a farmer flinging seeds, literally flinging them everywhere he walks. That is how you would actually sow a field in the first century. I know we don't know this. It's, it's difficult because we're, you know, everything's paved over in New Jersey, but we're the garden state, whatever. Uh, but the goal is just to get as much seed out there as possible, thinking some of it's going to land in good soil. Some of it's going to, not going to, going to yield anything, but it's a condition of the soil and actually things I can't control, like the weather and the rain and the, that's actually going to grow it. And the point is, Jesus is like, it's your responsibility to simply fling seeds of God's kindness as we walk along in life every day and pray and believe that God's going to help some of it take root. And one of, the, one of the best places to begin flinging seeds is your own front lawn, your closest relationships, close family, friends, coworkers. And you're going to be excited to hear that this is not about becoming a salesman or you don't have to be an extrovert to share Jesus with people. You just have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and get your hands in the dirt. That's likely why after Jesus told the basics of sowing, he gave them a detailed explanation of, of what he meant because he wanted us to know what to expect when we go out there and sow. Check, take a look at this. Here's what he actually said in Matthew 13, 19 through 23. Disciples actually went up to him and said, hey, great story. Uh, what does this mean? <laughs> and, and Jesus said, okay, let me go over this with you guys. Uh, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom, about, about love in God through faith in Christ and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Now, the seed on the rocky soil, that represents those who hear the message and immediately like receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last very long. They actually fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, the seed that fell among the thorns, that represents those who hear God's words, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by, catch this, the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. 
So no fruit is produced there. But the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word, his logos, the essence of what Jesus did, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, when you're confronted with this teaching of Jesus, two things you've got to ask. First off, which one am I? I mean, he gives four different scenarios here, right? Which of these, in which of these scenarios do you identify with, right? I mean, if you look at like pathway people, he's like, pathway people, like they flat out refuse to believe God's message of love and acceptance through faith in Christ. And maybe that's you. You're welcome here. That's awesome. We're not going to strong arm you. But maybe you're like, hey, I've experienced Jesus like that guy in that video. You're just kind of sugarcoating it and give it a nicer spin here. But I forget, I don't believe it. Footpath people. Rock people, right? That's actually like many people who follow Jesus initially, they believe this message, but they never actually got around to doing anything about it. But thorn patch people, they respond to God initially, but when it says the worries of this life and materialism got the better of them, and I'm like, that is probably the one I most closely identify with. (laughs) I mean, I have good intentions of following Jesus, especially on Sunday. (laughs) I go home and I'm jazzed up, but Monday morning comes and, you know, I don't know, I'm like all bleary-eyed and I flip on SportsCenter and it's like, it's over, (laughs) you know? I get bombarded with just busyness, family, work, the stuff of life which Jesus says is great, but here's the deal. It can choke out being fruitful for for God. But Jesus ends with good soil people who hear and understand God's word and then follow him no matter what the cost. So the first question to answer is, hey, which type of soil are you? Which Which one are you? Everyone has to weigh the claims of Christ for themselves and decide what to do with the logos, the revealed truth of God, Jesus on the cross. Do you believe that is the actual source of life and the revelation of God's heart? Great. Are you following his example? Are you actually laying down your life with increasing regularity as you mirror his love to others? That's the first issue. But now second, notice something. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell you, um, don't waste your seed on people who you know their hearts are concrete. Right? If you look at this, he's, you know, he, could, he could have said, and so the moral of the story is, don't throw waste 75% of your seed. <laughs> It's all going away. It's only that little last portion. So you be real discerning. Actually, Jesus says, be totally undiscerning and indiscriminate in the way you spread my love. Because it's not up to you to determine which one's going to take root. Don't wait for just the right moment or the perfect conditions to express God's kindness in tangible ways to your friends. Rather, like my sister did with the homeless woman in the park, like Lou and his son did with the waitress and the parking tenant, we're to be indiscriminate and trust God to do the rest. Don't be stingy, says Jesus. Fling them. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's no heavenly accountant toting up, you know, the number of conversions per dollar's worth of seed. <laughs> in other words, since there's an endless supply, Jesus is like, you're going to fling lots and lots of my, of my love into people's hearts who won't get it. And this week, we're going to seed our family and friends. So here's your challenge. Should you choose to accept it? We always say that. Your challenge this week is to plant a seed of God's kindness in the life of a family member or friend that reflects the kind of selfless, sacrificial love that Christ showed you in giving his life on the cross. I want you to think about your family. Think your family first. If you were to call one person in your life to mind right now who could really use a touch of God's kindness, unconditional, who would it be? Think of your family member right now. Whose face comes to mind? Your dad, your sister, your 
your spouse, I don't know. What tangible act of service could you perform for them this week that would express God's kindness and care for them? I was thinking about this and I was like, it's probably my wife. She's going through a lot having to work. We've got the two young kids. I got this crazy schedule and I was like, you know what? Maybe it's a foot massage for my wife. And at the early service, I saw her in the back going, yes. Because she gets tired on her feet, and that's one of the things she likes to do. And so I was thinking about this past week. I was like, that's what I'll do. You know what I'll do? I'll tell her to go get a, a, get a, get a pedicure. And, um, and, I'll, and I started thinking about that. I was like, hey, uh, hey sweet, you know, next week, um, you know, I know you've been going through a lot and everything. Hey, when you go out and, like, get groceries, whatever, make, just stop off and get, you know, whatever, your feet done and everything. I don't even know if you have money to pay for it since you do the bills. Check on that. And, uh, you know, just want to show my love and concern for you. And I realized that actually cost me nothing. <laughs> but sacrifice, what, what, that really demonstrate costly love? Uh, what if I arranged to get a sitter and I actually left work early and went to bed, bath and beyond and got peppermint foot lotion and actually, and actually massaged her feet myself, which is a stretch because I hate feet. But what? What would it do to cost you to do something? Maybe it's a need you've observed in a coworker's life. It's been a source of frustration or, or depleted energy for them. And you answer the call this week in Jesus' name. I want to give you just a moment here to think. Who does God bring to your mind? Who in your life, family, friends, could use a little encouragement or kindness? And I want to give them a moment for the Holy Spirit just to give you kind of an, an impression. Who's that? And I know some of you are like, no, 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 not her. Get out of my mind. I don't want, no, 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 no. Who does God want you to reach out? And tangibly bless this week in a creative way. Hold up your seat again. Hold it up, everyone. Whose life would God have you sow this into this week? If God's bringing someone to mind, I want you to write their initials on your seed. It can be done. I know, you've got to scratch it in there, okay? I want you to scratch it in here. But this is going to be your reminder, okay? What small creative act of kindness could you perform for them that would demonstrate how deeply, freely, and powerfully God cares for them? These are going to become more and more apparent, again, as you start awakening to the spirit sensitivity in your life. Uh, I mentioned that Steve Shogren wrote the book Outflow, in which we're basing this series. And we do have more copies of those available at the Welcome Center, by the way, if you want to pick them up. But in his book, he tells the story of his friend Lynn, who came up with a novel idea for flinging seeds at her neighbor who was a new mom. Uh, Listen to what she wrote. Just an ordinary woman sowing seeds. Listen to this. I love this. I met Gail many years ago at her husband's office Christmas party. After doing the small talk thing, we realized we were both stay-at-home moms with young children. I tried hard not to cringe visibly as Gail wearily described her life to me. She just moved to town and was housebound most of the time taking care of her three kids, all of them under three years old. Well, I was stressed out just taking care of my four-year-old. And I couldn't even imagine how hard it would be to care for three little ones and without the help and support of local friends or family. And I was getting worn out just thinking about it. Which might explain why I stopped thinking about it. Because to be honest, I'd almost completely forgotten about Gail and her struggles until a few days later. Now, check this out. At that point, I just started getting serious about Jesus in my life. So I was new at the whole prayer thing. But after I asked God to bless me, my family, a few of my friends, Gail came back to my mind. So I asked God to please send her someone to give her a day off from her parenting duties. And when I was finished praying, I was feeling pretty good about what a sensitive Christian I'd become. But God wasn't quite done yet. As I stood up and went about my business, I got the distinct sense that God wanted me to be part of his answer to my prayer for Gail. Now, I needed a little prompting, 
But after thinking about it for a bit, I got her number and gave her a call. Gail, I said, you may not remember me. We met the Christmas party last week. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed meeting you too. Well, today I'm calling because I'm, this may sound weird. I want to freak you out. But I'm convinced that your heavenly father loves you so much. He wants me to give you a full day off. Now, her silence stretched several long seconds. (laughs) She didn't know how to respond. So I jumped right in. I said, I'm serious. You pick a day and I'll come over and take care of your kids from nine in the morning until you're ready to come home that night. You can go anywhere you want, do whatever you want. After another pause, Gail said, it was nice of me to offer and that she'd think about it. I sensed she wasn't quite sure, so I pressed on. I said, just pick a day and I'll come over. And if you don't pick a day, I'm going to show up anyway. And in the end, that's how it happened. I showed up at her house one morning. She took a little while to decide that I wasn't crazy or a criminal. And then, and then gave in and agreed to let me watch her kids. That's when I told her I'd reserved a hotel room in her name if she wanted to have a nice place to take a nap and that I wouldn't be upset if she didn't use it. Gail grabbed her keys and left the house immediately and didn't return again until 9.30 that evening. When she walked in, the kids were all tucked in bed. Her husband was watching TV, and I had dinner prepared for both of them. A smile on her face, Gail asked me, Why did you say you were doing this? And once again, I said simply, Because your Heavenly Father wants you to know He loves you. Something in Gail changed that day. The long hours away from her house and children caused her to recognize that she'd been suffocating emotionally, all the while never asking her husband or anyone else for help. And after that day, she finally had the courage to ask. And when she did ask, Gail was amazed at how willing he and others were willing to lighten her load. Well, I thought this was all a great answer to my prayer, but God wasn't done yet. There was something even more exciting to come. A couple of weeks later, Gail called me up on the phone. Tell me again why you did this (laughs) to help me this way. And for the third time, I repeated, because your heavenly father wants you to know he loves you. And I could hear her quietly crying in the background as she whispered, well, I want to know him then. Gail talked to Jesus for the first time that day. And she recognized she needed a savior and began a friendship with him. Again, you might think this would be a good end to the story, but no. A few months after that phone call, Gail began a ministry in her new church one specifically designed to give practical help to mothers of young children. Who is responsible for Gail's dramatic conversion to a friendship with God? Lynn, hotel, all God asks us to do is take a risk and creatively plant the seeds of love that he's shown us into the lives of those he puts in our paths every day. Outflow. It's not about you, but guess what? God wants to use you this week in the life of a friend, family member, coworker, or neighbor. So a question for you, how would he have you plant this seed of kindness this week? That's your challenge. And, and this is true evangelism. There's literally no pressure. <laughs> As Jesus highlighted his parable, it's like the outcome isn't up to you at all. There are all sorts of things. A thief may steal it. People may have a hardened heart. They may, but you know what? You may be part of a process. It doesn't mean you don't take a risk and sow this week because Jesus is like, there are other times that you're not even going to do anything. You're going to think they're little things and all of a sudden, 30, 60, 100 times grow up in people's lives. And that's great news right now. For any of those people at the beginning who raised their hand because you've been praying for a friend or family member to begin a relationship with Jesus, it's not up to you. There's a process in place. And though you may be tempted to believe you're the only one who can do the job, God himself is knocking on that person's heart. The Apostle Paul explained this truth saying this. He said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, I planted the seed in your hearts. You want to throw that up there, Nick? I planted the seed in your hearts. He's saying, 
to Christians in, in Corinth. He said, but Apollos watered it. Another guy came along and helped. But it was God who made it grow. In other words, he's like, God wants you to share in the process of bringing people into relationship with him. So you may plant a seed this week in their life, but other Christians in maybe their work or their neighborhood actually may water them. And someone else may actually bring the harvest. So your job is simply start flinging lots and lots of seeds whenever you get the opportunity to, to extend surprising kindness. Why? Because you've been well-loved by the Father. And when you're filled with the Spirit, it's time for it to flow out of you. What's the point? No matter who does the watering, planting, or harvesting, it's God who makes the seeds grow in the life of your family members and friends. And that means the pressure's off. I remember struggling with my mom so much because she'd been very bruised by life and wasn't interested in, to, in, a, in a formulaic step-by-step, this is how you do God kind of religion. She had no interest in that. In fact, it really offended her. Late, 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 like in the last week of her life. She did finally come to God. I mean, at her deathbed, she, she reached out next to me into this space next to me as I stood by her bed. And I said, what do you see there? And she said, Jesus. And she reached her hands out to him. And I'm like, whoa, pretty sensational. And and I watched her go into his arms. That was amazing. And it so convinced me to never, ever give up. Because that was a 30-year journey for me with her. And you know, on the flip side of it, my father was not interested in God either. And on his deathbed, I held his hands, fully expecting God to do the same miracle he did with my mother. And I watched him breathe in and breathe out, and breathe in and breathe out, and breathe in and breathe out. And he was gone. And I have no idea where he went. And I have to sit with that and go, was that my fault? Did I do something wrong? Did I need to say more prayers? Did I need to have him pray out loud? And God has finally convinced me that I can trust my Father's eternity to the one God who's all-loving and fair. And I have to. And I think when it comes to family, we carry around this inordinate burden that it's up to us. And we may watch in one family member someone respond and think, oh, we did it right. Yay! And then we look at someone else and maybe they don't respond in a visible, tangible way and we think, oh, We did it wrong, and we're responsible. And and I think God wants to free us from all of that and and convince us once and for all that He has a personal love for each human being. And through His Holy Spirit, He has access to their inner souls in a way that we don't. And He might invite us into that process and use us, but sometimes we don't know it, and sometimes we do. It's not up to you. It starts with you. You've got to plant the seed, but it's God who brings the growth, which means the pressure's off. So who would God have you reach out to this week with an act of sacrificial kindness that represents the the great sacrifice that Jesus made for you? Maybe you wash your roommate's dishes. It starts out real easy. And when when they ask, wait, wait, why are you doing this? Well, you're important to me, and I thought if Jesus were here, it's it's what he might do. (laughs) Or here's an idea. I want you to think of something you'd really like to do for yourself. What's something that you've been playing like, oh, I'd really, you know, like going out to a movie or maybe buying, you know, I don't know, a new outfit at the mall or, or fishing gear at the sports store. Now figure out how much that thing would cost and spend an equal amount on that friend or family member that God brought to mind. Buy that person the gift that you think may communicate their language, how important he or she is to God. And when you give that present, do it secretly. Do it anonymously. 
and leave a note that says something like, your heavenly father just wanted to tell you how much he loves you. What if you came home and that was on your doorstep? What could happen? It's not up to you to convict anyone or convince anyone about the truth of Jesus Christ. You just embody it. You become the Logos. And God does the growing. We're just called to faithfully fling our seeds, and God says, I'll take care of the rest. So, are you prepared to plant a seed this week? If something cool happens, I want to remind you, go to liquidchurch.com and post your experience on our online blog. That's where we're getting many of these stories from. Simply, real simple, you can read the stories of others there too. But I want everyone right now to take out their seed, and I want us to all stand together. Put your seed in your hand. You've got it. Everyone stand up. Let's hold it together. Seed in your right hand, okay? We're going to pray now and ask God for the strength to kind of follow through here. Lord uh, Jesus, here we are again. And uh, this week, Lord, we're not holding balloons, but we're holding seeds of love that you have given us. And you've shown us the depth of your kindness by dying on the cross, Lord, and, and literally being buried in the earth so that we could come to new life. So now we invite you to empower us, Lord. We need your help today. And we confess that we need fresh filling with your spirit. We need creativity, Lord, in our thinking And we need courage, Lord, to act. Would you quicken the spirits in this room with your Holy Spirit and give us eyes to see a family member or or a friend or someone in our everyday life who could use a touch of love this week. Give us the courage to reach out. We trust you to do the rest. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.